670 WTBN Pinellas Park, 100.3 W262CP Bayonet Point. Online at portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. As we allow the Word of God to break forth on us, we see where we've sinned against others. We see that, that, uh, uh, that break in fellowship, and we're exposed, and we, we ought to humble ourselves and confess our sins to God and anybody else that we've sinned against. If it's with another person, we, we do that. So walking in the light is allowing God's truth to expose areas of our lives that need changing. And when we see that, we confess it to God and He forgives us. This is just an ongoing experience. This is the normal Christian walk. Daily confessing our sins, daily cleansing us. At least that's the way it should be, right? The Apostle John had some wonderful teaching in his first letter to the churches. And we'll look at that a little today as we consider some steps to personal revival on Verse by Verse. Hello and welcome. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I mentioned First John, but our main text is in Nehemiah. We've been looking at the characteristics of a biblical revival that Nehemiah related in chapter 8 of that book. Today, we move on to chapter 9, as Pastor Steve begins a message on the four steps to personal revival. Grab your Bibles if you can. Here's Pastor Steve. You hear a lot about revival. At least I hear a lot about revival. It's uh, often used in the context of evangelism, of people coming to Christ. There are churches who hold revival meetings, and what they mean by that is that some people are going to be saved. But uh, that's not really what the word revival means at all. It's not what the concept means. The word revival means to come back to life. You have to have life in order to have it come back. It means to restore to life, to recover life. When we revive somebody physically, it's because they had life in them to begin with, and uh, they were brought back into uh, a, a reliving, uh, back to life again. So revival means that you must know Christ. Spiritual revival means that you must have life in you in order for it to be restored. So a revival is really for believers who have been disobedient to God. They've gotten off track in their lives, and they've been brought back into a healthy relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, which means that all of us, need to be revived at times. All of us need revival because all of us at times blow it in our Christian lives. All of us at times blow it in our spiritual walk and we we need to start over again. It was Charles Finney who defined revival as this. He said, it's nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. That's what revival is. It's really a new beginning. And that's why revival is so important to us because at times, as I said, we, we all blow. We all get off track spiritually. We all have regrets. We, we sin against God. And uh, we wonder, how do we get back on track? How do we really uh, get back uh, to where we should be? We tend to feel so guilty. And the reason most of us feel guilty is because we are guilty. That's why you feel guilty. But how do you deal with this guilt? How do you, how do you deal with it in a biblical way so that you can start over again? If you've ever blown it in your life, you're a Christian, but you haven't been living like a Christian, you have not been obedient to the Word of God, and you want to get right with the Lord, how would you go about doing it? What would be the process? 
Well, this morning, that's what we're going to study. We're going to, we're going to study that and find out what the Bible says because uh, Nehemiah chapter 9 deals with that. If you turn your Bibles to Nehemiah, the ninth chapter, we'll see how far we'll get in this. But it's really about the Jewish community of Nehemiah's day having a revival, a new beginning. They had failed spiritually as a nation, and they wanted to get back to God. And as we go through this chapter, we want to look for principles that apply to us timeless truths on how to get back to God. So I don't want you to think that revival is just for those who have been horrible in their lives. It's for all of us. It's for all of us, because at times all of us get off track. How would you get back on track? In Nehemiah chapter 9, we're given four steps to a personal revival. And that's what we want to look at this morning. Four steps to a personal revival. It's not for the person next to you. It's for you. So you need to take it that way. The first step to a personal revival is this. Confess your sin to God. Confess your sin to God. As we look at the chapter, verses 1 through 4 say this. Now on the 24th day of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dirt upon them. And the descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. And for another fourth, uh, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Now, on the Levites' platform stood Jeshua, Bani, Cadmiel, Shabani, Bonai, Sherebiah, Bani, and uh, Chaniah, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Now remember, when chapter 8 ended, the Jewish people were busy celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. Through reading the Law of Moses, they discovered that they should have been doing this as a nation um, every year. They should have built temporary shelters and lived in them for about a week in the seventh month. They should have done that, and they didn't know that. They were ignorant, so they got busy. They only had two weeks to go, so they got busy getting all the branches together, getting these temporary uh, uh, shelters ready, and that kept them very busy gathering their materials, and then they celebrated the feast, and that's where we left them. They were busy celebrating the feast, so they were caught up in a whirlwind of activity, uh, of activity. but as chapter 9 opens up, the feast is over, the celebrating has ceased, and now the people are faced with the stark reality of their sin. Because in chapter 8, they discovered some things they had violated on the law of God. And in chapter 8, verse 9, they began to weep. They wept. And it was at that point that Nehemiah and Ezra stepped in and said, wait, you're not supposed to weep today. Today is a feast day. And it was. It was the Feast of Trumpets. You're not supposed to weep. So don't weep now. So they started celebrating on that day. God wanted his people to rejoice on those days. Then they got busy getting ready for the Feast of Tabernacles. But now that's over with. And they've now returned to the reality of their sin. In other words, they just delayed their mourning. They were mourning. Remember that? We, we saw that they were mourning for their sin. But now as chapter 9 opens up, we're told that they assembled two days later on the 24th of the month in order to fast, to put on sackcloth, and to uh, put dirt upon their, uh, their bodies. Uh, sackcloth was a sign, and all this was a sign of grief, a time of, uh, sign of mourning and sadness. And sackcloth, by the way, was a dark, coarse cloth made from goat's hair. That's what we mean when we say sackcloth. And so they were in mourning. They were confessing their sins. 
And um, in addition to this, the Jewish people uh, separated themselves from the Gentile people. There were Gentiles there, but they separated from this assembly. This assembly was only for the children of Israel. Why? Because at this assembly, they were confessing their sins as a people. As a people specifically chosen by God to obey him, they had disobeyed him. And these verses say that they stood for a fourth of the day and they confessed their sins. They Actually, the law was read to them. And then for another fourth of the day, they confessed their sins. Whether a fourth of the day means three hours or six hours, um, I, I don't know. Whether it's a, just the daytime or the 24-hour period. But that's a, a long time to stand and, uh, and hear from the word and then confess your sin. Now, that's what they were doing. That's what these verses are about. They were confessing their sin, that they had violated the word of God. Now, what does this tell us about personal revival? It tells us this. If you have sinned against God, the way back always begins with confession of sin. That's what, that's what this tells us in context. Why? Because sin breaks our fellowship with God. God is holy, and he cannot fellowship and will not fellowship with those who are living in purposeful sin. That's why we needed to be saved in the first place, because our sins have separated us from God. And, and Jesus Christ restores us and brings us to fellowship by paying for our sins. But as believers, our sin uh, puts us out of fellowship and that joy of fellowship with God. And so we confess our sin. It's, it's basic, but it's so important. It's basic, but it's not, it's not simple. It's not easy because pride stands in the way of us confessing our sin. Now, it's important to understand what does it mean to confess our sin? Because I hear people say things like, well, Lord, if I've sinned, I'm sorry. That's really not confessing sin, not in the biblical sense. Let's turn, and you want to stay at Nehemiah 9, but let's turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 gives us a very, very helpful understanding of confession. In 1 John 1, 9, we read this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, this is the forgiveness of a child to a father. This is not the forgiveness of salvation. John is writing to believers. If as a believer we sin the way back to where God forgives us on a parental basis, like a father and child, not like a judge and a criminal, that was salvation, the way back is to confess. So what does it mean to confess? The Greek word simply means to agree with God. It means to say the same thing as God has said, which means this, that I can't make any excuses. You can't make any excuses. We look at our sin the same way God looks at it. We say and declare it's wicked. We say it needs repenting of. We need to turn from it because that's what God says about it. We say it's inexcusable. We say I'm guilty before you, God. Not if I've sinned, yes, I've sinned, and this is what I've done. I agree with you that this is wrong, it's inexcusable, it needs repenting of. And so when we come and we confess that there's an attitude of turning from it, because that's what God says about it. It's not a mental thing, oh, I'm sorry, and I'm going to go right out and do it again. Now, that's what confession means. But in the verses leading up to this, John tells us how confession comes about. What's the process that leads to confession? Notice verses 6 and 7. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another 
and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. According to these verses, fellowship with God comes from walking in the light. What is the light? What, what, what is the light? We don't, it's the opposite of darkness. To walk in the light means that we walk in the light of God's word, which constantly exposes our sin. For example, and stay, stay in 1 John if you will, but, but in, uh, in, Psalm, in Psalm 119, verses 105, David said this, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God enlightens us. It exposes our sin so we can see what it is and we confess it. In fact, in John chapter 3, verse 20, we read this. For everyone who, do, who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. That's why people don't accept Christ. Not because they have great intellectual problems, but because they do not want their sin exposed. But Jesus said, but he who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So the light is the light of God's word, and it exposes our sin. Walking in the light is allowing God's truth to expose areas of our lives that need cleansing. And remember, the Jewish people were weeping and confessing their sins because the light of the word was exposing their sin. They didn't know they were in evil until the word of God was, was read from and so that's the way it is. And notice, John says that we have fellowship not only with God, but we have fellowship with one another because sin blocks our fellowship with one another. As we allow the word of God to break forth on us, we see where we've sinned against others. We see that, that, uh, uh, that break in fellowship and we're exposed and we, we ought to humble ourselves and confess our sins to God and anybody else that we've sinned against. If it's with another person, we, we do that. So walking in the light is allowing God's truth to expose areas of our lives that need changing. And when we see that, we confess it to God and he forgives us. This is just an ongoing experience. This is the normal Christian walk. Daily confessing our sins, daily cleansing us. Now, that's the first step. This is the first step back to a healthy relationship with God. Otherwise, we are living a lie and not practicing the truth. And we're actually calling God a liar. Notice verse, uh, verses 8 and then 10 of these verses in 1 John. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If a Christian says, I have no sin, I have nothing to confess, I've never, I haven't done anything wrong. It's always the other person. John says you're a liar. If that's, the tr if that's the way of your life, that you never own up to your own sin, and you, or you put it off, or you won't let God deal with it, you're a liar. And then what's worse, verse 10 says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So if we don't confess our sins, we're saying two things. We're saying, I'm lying. And worse, we're saying God is lying because God says that we've sinned and we need to confess our sins. That's one of the marks of being a believer. And we confess it to the Lord, but if we've sinned against another person, we confess it to them. And that's really what walking in the light is all about. Nothing mystical, nothing real mysterious about that. It's just letting the word of God expose, uh, expose areas of sin in our lives. So if you're guilty before God, then don't let your pride hold you back. That's the only thing that can really hold you back. I don't want to humble myself. I don't want to, you know, I'll confess it to the Lord, but going to somebody else, that's really difficult. Don't let your pride hold you back. It is nothing more than pride. Nothing more than pride. How do I know? Because I know the word of God and I know my own wicked heart. Nothing more than pride. Well, it's awkward. Yes, it is. 
Yes, it is. But uh, it's good for you because it'll break you of pride. We let his word expose us. And when, when that happens, we see that we're sinful. You see, the tendency today, I suppose it's always been the tendency, but more so today, is to uh, explain away the feelings of guilt or explain away our sin. We live in a world like that, and that infiltrates the church. For example, we rename sin. We, we, re, we rename sin. It's not fear that I have anymore. It's a phobia. You see, if it's a phobia, maybe that could be treated by medicine. See, it's really not sin. The Bible doesn't call it that. The Bible calls fear sin. It calls fear fear. It's not a phobia. You put a clinical name on it, then it changes the whole picture. And if you do that, you're not going to confess it as sin. Uh, there are other things. And no longer do I steal. I'm a kleptomaniac. See? What is a kleptomaniac? Well, I need treatment. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, let him who steals, steal no longer, but let him work hard so he can give to others. The Bible doesn't say you need treatment for that. The Bible says you need, oh, the treatment is the word. That would be the treatment. Or uh, we make excuses. This is the way God made me. I can't help myself. Well, if that's the case, then you make God a liar because he said you can help yourself if you're a believer. Is his grace sufficient or not? If his grace is not sufficient to keep you from sin, then throw the book out. Because the book says that his grace is sufficient. He's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Or another way we do this is, uh, I don't interpret the word the way you do. So you see, I don't have have to do that. I didn't do anything wrong. I don't see it that way. Or we're so busy trying to take the speck out of somebody else's eye that we don't see the big beam in our own eyes. That's another way we deal uh, with our sin or, or don't deal with it. Or sometimes we try to deal with, the, with the, the feelings of guilt. If I can just get rid of these feelings, I won't be guilty. No, you're still guilty. You need to deal with the source of those feelings, and the source of those feelings is sin. Confess your sin. And if you still feel guilty after that, then understand that you don't need to listen to your feelings. Because you've done what the word of God says. Listen, if you feel guilty over your sin, then confess it to God now. Or else, the danger is this. The more you let it go on, if there's sin between you and somebody else, a break in fellowship, or sin between you and God, if you let that continue, what happens is you get hardened to that. You get callous to that. You, you have what the Bible calls a defiled conscience. For example... In Ephesians chapter 4. Now I realize this is for unbelievers. But uh, what, what Paul is talking about in these verses. But it applies to believers. Because we know that we can get a defiled conscience. It also applies to believers. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18. Being darkened he speaks of in their understanding. Excluded from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness of their heart. They have become calloused. Having given themselves over, having given themselves over rather to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, there is a process of hardening, like callous skin. If you've if you've ever played handball and hit that ball hundreds and thousands of times, your hand becomes hardened. Or as a runner, if you run and, and it just rubs against the bottom of your feet, your shoe or whatever you have in there, uh, you will get calloused feet. And that's a hardness. So you can take a pin and stick it in there and you won't feel it. If you go deep enough, you will. But otherwise, you won't. 
but that's a callous conscience. In Titus chapter 1, verse 15, Paul speaks about a defiled conscience. He says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their conscience are defiled. There's a defiling there. And he speaks in 1 Timothy chapter 4 about a seared conscience. A seared conscience. So that's very dangerous. And that's why we keep short accounts with God and with man. Because there's a hardening process. There's a hardening process that takes place. And that's a very dangerous place to be in. Because you cannot stay in the Christian life. You cannot stagnate in the Christian life. Either you are moving closer to Jesus Christ or you are moving further away from him. You cannot stay neutral. So this is very, very important. So if you want a fresh beginning with God, go back to the first step, and that is personal revival. That's personal revival. That's confession of sin. And we're talking about attitudes, not just action. We're talking about uh, all those things that would be sin. Confess your sin to God today. Don't let another day go by. Because you could wake up tomorrow and not sense the, the pricking action of the Holy Spirit. The writer to the Hebrews says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your heart. If today there's a sensitivity to your sin, then confess it today. Tomorrow may be too late. And you're destroyed in the Christian life. So confess your sin to God. The second step to personal revival is reflect on God's compassion. Reflect on God's compassion. Notice Nehemiah chapter five, uh, chapter nine, rather verses five and six. Then the Levites, uh, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shabaniah, and Pethahiah said, "Arise, bless the Lord your God forever and ever." Oh, may thy glorious name be blessed and exalted above all blessing and praise. Thou alone art the, God, art the Lord. Thou hast made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that's in it, the seas and all that's in them. Thou dost give life to all of them and the heavenly host bows down before thee. So after confessing their sins to God, several Levites who were leaders in the congregation call the people to praise the Lord and they call the people to exalt them. That's what they're doing. They say, arise, stand up, and let's praise the Lord and let's exalt him. And they lead the, the people in a prayer that, first of all, praises God as the creator. And that's, um, that's what we just read. Then, secondly, from verses 7 through 31, which we, we won't read all of these, uh, what they do, and this is the, the thrust and the brunt of the chapter, what they do is they lead the people in a prayer that rehearses and traces the history of the Jewish nation and God's dealings with his chosen people. That's, that's what this chapter is about. So rather than go through each verse, which you'll be very thankful for, rather than going through each verse, I think it would be most beneficial that we get the overall purpose of this prayer. If we're going to apply it to our lives, what's the purpose of this? After all, we're not Old Testament Israel. It's really not our past. In one sense, it's not. What is the purpose of this prayer? How can you apply it to your life? The purpose, the overall purpose of, of this prayer is not simply to give a history lesson. That's not what they're interested in. But they want the Jewish people to reflect on how compassionate God has been with them in his dealings over the years. We should do the same, shouldn't we? I'm amazed when I think back on the times God has rescued me out of difficult or dangerous circumstances. And on top of that, 
all the countless times He's forgiven me when I've disobeyed. His mercies really are never-ending. Thanks for joining us today for another Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is leading us in a study from the book of Nehemiah about the characteristics of a biblical revival. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Discover more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com. If you've missed any of the broadcasts in this series, it's easy to get caught up. Just point your web browser to versebyverseradio.org and click the link to the message archive page. All our audio files are free to download or to stream. Verse by Verse is listener supported, though. If you'd like to help keep Verse by Verse on the air, there's a convenient giving page on our website. Once again, that's versebyverseradio.org. Thanks for your gifts and for your prayers. Another way to give is by calling Lakeside at 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. I'm Jerry Peterson. One of the things about history is that it's so easy